Hello, listener, and welcome to Desert Pirate Radio. Sailing the four sands of here, there, that way, and just on the horizon. My name is E, and I will be your host for the show. Why do they call me E? Because when the wind hits the sails, all I can go is, ah! We've got another show coming your way. We'll be hearing about the cutting edge of soup and discussing God's plans and intentions with David. So don't go anywhere. But first, we have Mother Anne taking the piss. I'm a vet, and so I thought I'd share a few vet stories. And um, so here we go. I've been a vet for about 30 years now, so done it for a while. It's a great job. Love it. So here's a funny thing they teach you in vet school. How to make different animals pee. Well, I guess you're probably thinking, great, why would anyone want to do that anyway? Well, you can learn a whole lot of pretty interesting stuff through this smelly golden fluid. Firstly, a bit about wee. Well, it's made up of about 95% water, and the rest is urea from protein breakdown, salts like sodium, potassium, sulfate, ammonium, phosphate, and little bits of protein. But if you have any problems in your body, it can also have things like blood in it, glucose, myoglobin, bilirubin, hemoglobin, ketones, bacteria, white blood cells, and you might be taking illicit drugs, so they have drug residues. Um, and if you've been bitten by a snake, you'd probably have anti-snake venom in it too. So you might want to be testing it to see how well your body's working. Um, if you've got diabetes, if you have a bladder or kidney infection, maybe liver infections, um, bladder stones, or, um, you know, like in our racing industries for greyhounds and horses, if they've been taking any illicit drugs. So this is how you make different animals wee. So this is what they teach you at uni. So a cow. So you have to stand behind it and tickle it under the vulva for a few minutes, and then she'll pee. I've never done a bull, and I don't know how you make them wee, because they obviously don't have a vulva. Um, and then a sheep. What you're going to do with a sheep is hold your hands over its mouth and nose so it can't breathe. And just before it passes out, it's going to wee. Well, wouldn't you? Um, I should say I've never actually done this, so that's only the theory, the theory of it. A horse. Well, we have to take wee from horses to if they've, say, won a horse race. Um, and you're checking to see if they've had any drugs to help them win that. So you have them in the stable and the trainer usually does it and they whistle, they're, they're specially trained and you whistle in a kind of an undulating whistle and um, after a while they pee and you've got to kind of run around and grab as much of it as you can without getting too wet. Dogs, take them outside to the grass or a lamppost or a car tire and they usually pee for you. Guide dogs are specially trained to go on a command and some of them use the command quick quicks and so they, they do that so that you know you go and empty their bladder before they go off to the supermarket or go to the cinemas and stuff like that or some of them even go and have to go in planes and those dogs get trained to wee on pee pads so they take them down to where they're serving you know the the food in that little alleyway and they put the pee pad down the dog will go and wee down there on a long flight to Europe or whatever um, cats. Cats, well, they're trickier. Collected in a litter tray with some non-absorbent beads 
Or you can, they wee in all sorts of places. They wee in the shower floor or in the sink, so you can get it out of that. Some people wring it out of their new doona, because sure enough, if you get a new doona, your cat's probably going to wee on it. Um, I had to look at a blue urine sample the other day that someone had wrung out of a out of a floor mat. And the other thing we do with cats is poke a needle into their bladder, techie word is cystocentesis, and just take it straight out of the bladder. So there you go, that's probably all the animals I know how to get wee from. And now you know doctors have a way easier job because they just say, go to the loo and pee in this jar. So not so with vets. I don't know why I put ads in the show. I mean, I don't see any of this money, but I'll submit to the corporate overlords and play this ad. Do you like the silence? Wasn't that some lovely silence? If you love silence, then come join me and appreciate the silence every now and then whenever I feel like it. I, of course, can't appreciate the silence due to the constant screaming going on in my head. But you can join me. We have our first listener write-in. Thank you, Joey, for reaching out to the show. If you would like to have contact with the show, please email us at reach at desertpirateradio.com. So, he sent in a couple questions. Number one, bit of a weird one, is there any lawnmower shops in the hourglass? And there is, which is so weird, I have seen more lawnmower shops than I have grass. So I will check it out in the coming weeks and I'll get back to you next show. Second question. Have you seen any birds in the hourglass? Uh, no, I actually haven't. Which, yeah, I don't know why. I so, I don't know if there's, I don't know if, I don't know. I haven't seen any birds. But I haven't also thought about it. So I'll keep an eye out, but I'm fairly sure there's not. Number three. What is the primary moot? mode mood of mode of transport in the desert walking it's basically walking uh it's all the whole town's within a walking distance i mean there's nothing else to do i am trying to get the studio going get the engine going so that i can sail around but i'm not much of an engineer question number four are there more chairs or people in the world well judging by the fact that there are four and a half people in the world i would fairly safely say chairs but if you're talking outside of the sand timer, yeah, definitely more chairs because think of a movie cinema. Thank you, Joey, for writing into the show. If you would like to write in, reach at desertpirateradio.com. Question, confusion, or you could write in for the Q&A for David. What I did do, I think I may have mentioned it last show, is I, there was a library. And I thought this would be a good place to learn a bit about the sand timer and why it's so big and what the footprints are, well, maybe. I entered it, and it's just full of phones. Each phone has a, a number and a letter, and I went to pick some up, and it was just, I could, all I could hear was sort of like just normal life sounds, and I asked it a question. The phone that I picked up just it was a gruffly voice, and he said, yeah. I don't, I don't remember the question I asked it, but it was like, yeah, yeah. And didn't really answer my question. So, I don't know. It doesn't seem much of a library. Any, If you have any thoughts, please let me know. Yeah, very strange. There's probably about 100 phones. And I tried a couple of them. But they not all the same person, but all different voices all seemed not very enthused. Which, yeah, doesn't feel like a library to me. 
Don't forget to contact the show at reach at desertpirateradio.com in your emails. But now we have Scott with What's New in the Soup. Scott, can you please tell me about the history and creation of Soup 2? Mm, yeah, so that's a really good question. And it's, it's an area where I personally have a lot of expertise, but also a lot of passion. Um, so Soup 2... Look, the problem with the original soup was simply this. How can we take soup overseas without it getting in our bags? And so that was really the big issue that led this sort of domino effect that led up to soup too. Um, So there's a couple of really famous food scientists involved with this. Uh, The big one being Edith uh, Swapson. Uh, So Edith was really into soup and she was really into travel. Uh, She actually has the first woman to travel through every single country in the world on only one leg. So that's just an interesting fact about Edith. Um, But so Edith was really into traveling and really into soup and she realized that she couldn't carry her soup Mm -hmm. uh, overseas without it spilling all through her bag. Uh, And so what she actually did was invent soup two. And soup two was a type of gelatinous solid soup that could travel easily in a bag as she was going overseas. Uh, so, so where uh, what what's where's the line between soup two and jelly? What makes it soup two its own entity over say a savory jelly, which does mm. exist, unfortunately. Yeah, and so that's a really good question. Um, and there's obviously been... It's obviously a very controversial mm, okay. uh, debate, and there's people on both sides of this. Personally, uh, I think the distinguishing factor is to do with the contents mm-hmm. uh, and the way in which it is made gelatinous. Um, so typically, a soup too will have all of the like solid ingredients of a previously liquid soup. Mm-hmm. You might have little bits of beef, peas, potato, you know, and it will still have all of those things inside of it, whereas a jelly is obviously entirely clear of things. It is simply a jelly. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, you might find a chocolate frog in it from mm. time to time. That's true. So mm. you mentioned Soup 2 was created for the travelling person. Mm. Is Soup 2 like only made in one factory, or is there a cultural... How you know how soup? You there are different soups in different places, made for different people, made for different cultures, made for different weathers. Yeah, is that the case with soup too? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And obviously, um, soup too is a new thing, only mm-hmm. developed in the past five years or so. Um, so it's still growing, and mm. so we're still seeing the impacts. And as cultures start to personalize it, uh, and see how they can make their soup their traditional soups into travel form. Uh, I think we're going to really see some incredible things coming in this area. And there's definitely an area to Mm. keep an eye out for. Mm. Um, I've heard some really great things coming from the Mongolian soup factories. Interesting. Um, They are known for their soups. Some horse soups have been, I've been hearing some, some bubbling about those I can imagine some controversy in that alone. Oh, oh, absolutely. But, um, you know, the Mongolians love their soup and they also love their travel. Yeah. You know, traveling into China mm. quite often, quite often. I've quite heard. often. Um, 
And so, yeah, they're really keen to get their soups. And I do think that um, countries will start to personalise soup too uh, mm. into their own styles. I don't know if you mentioned this before we were recording, but you said you were a bit of a fan of soup too. Mm-hmm. Why would the soup-loving listener be wanting to swap to soup too? Look, there's just so many, so many good reasons. Um, look, scientists have been studying soup too, and they've found that not only does it travel well, it actually preserves in your fridge for three and a half times longer than wow. a traditional soup. That's weeks. That's yeah, even months in some for some soups. So this is really big for countries where there's poor refrigeration mm. or power outages. Uh, and it means that soup two is a potential for a really effective uh, food to give into developing nations mm. um, because it can preserve for so much longer than regular soup mm. with all of the deliciousness and health advantages of regular soup. Thank you, Scott. We now get to the final piece of the puzzle, our interview with David. If you have missed the previous shows, we've been talking to david about faith with the terminal illness uh you can listen back to previous episodes and hear more but why not start here so david uses a couple christianese words so if you're confused by their meaning he does explain them at the end but also if you're listening on the podcast you can go into the show notes and there's either timestamps to where he explains it or a written description of what the terms mean. If you'd like to learn a bit more about David and why you should listen to him, listen back to our podcast on episode AA where we started the series. On with the show. In light of what God has done with your illness, do you think God intended for you to have this disease? Mm, That's a big question. Um, Yeah, so people... There's various uh, schools of thought in terms of the origins of evil and suffering and... Um, predestination. Yeah, well, topics like predestination, which is, you know, the, the concept of free will and uh, if God's in charge, you know, how, how could free will arise or et cetera, et cetera. So um, how does suffering fit into that? Because, uh, yeah. And, I mean, I've come to my own conclusion that um, based on what we know about God, I, I can't see that God would have wanted me to have muscular dystrophy and die at 33. Um, it's a bit hard to see any any way that that would be <laughs> something that God wanted. Um, I more view it as I kind of touched on before, which is that there's a um, fallen world we live in and Sickness and disease are clearly part of that world, and so I was born born with a disease simply because of uh, us living in a fallen world and the fact that God hasn't fulfilled His rescue mission with Jesus, and um, you know we're, we're not living in eternity where there is going to be no suffering. I, I view it more. I was born with a disease simply because, well, I was unlucky basically. Um, thinking about the mutation itself it was simply just a point mutation which means literally one letter has changed in my dna code um causing that protein that's missing in in my body to 
only be half made by the body um, simply because of one letter change in the middle of it and so you know <laughs> yeah the odds of that mutation are pretty s small but it, it still happened and that's all I, I view it view it as I wouldn't ever well in my mind God hasn't before time gone you know what I'm gonna make this guy called David and he's <laughs> gonna you know I'm gonna make him have this disease because I want him to <laughs> um, not enjoy life at times pretty hard to conceive of God in that way I think that, that that's a view of God that would make sense uh, otherwise you, you lead into issues of saying well then God has been the author of evil which um, the Bible is very clear that God greatly detests evil and um, it wouldn't make sense for God to detest detest something that he had created um, and part of our fallen nature is to do with the concept that I would say that God wants to give us in some ways it's a bit we're not quite sure how it works but some sort of free will so that our choosing to believe in God is not a robotic force to choose God but an actual out of our own being um, our own um, desire which the Holy Spirit has to as Christians we would say the Holy Spirit has to um, help our hearts that are naturally turned away from God to turn to him God did not want me to have a, a disease but as I was saying a bit before um, despite me having my disease God has used it for good um, so it's kind of like viewing God is using the circumstances um, to his benefit and I, I think God in Jesus we say came down on the cross and died for us you know God has experienced what it is like to suffer as a human and I think we can take comfort that um, God most likely grieves our suffering um, we see Jesus in human form grieving the death of death of his friend Lazarus um, and we know that Jesus is a representation of God so um, that's another thing that I, I think is uh, God's not a cult distant God that is indifferent to our suffering but he's come down and experienced it firstly and then he's also you know um, sad for our suffering um, and that then leads down the, the rabbit hole and wormhole of well then why hasn't God intervened but um, you can talk about that for hours essentially mm -hmm. yeah so two terms you've used which I know and you know quite well but maybe the listener yep. doesn't Holy Spirit and fallen world what what do those mean in a Christian worldview and um, I guess the Holy, Holy Spirit is probably slightly simpler but it's <laughs> still complex in some <laughs> way people may may it depends on the familiarity people have with Christianity but they may have heard this concept of the Trinity and essentially it's um, our belief that God is one God in his essence but he's made of three persons and that those persons are the Son being Jesus and then God the Father and then we say the Holy Spirit which is the presence of God essentially when we talk about the Holy Spirit we mean the person of God called the Holy Spirit who we would say the persons of the Holy of the Trinity have different roles um, it's hard to say exactly what you would say the Holy Spirit does but um, 
the Holy Spirit can be seen as a person of God who, um, when we say the presence of God, we mean, you know, just as you would go to a concert and you'd say, oh, they have good presence on stage. Um, mm. It's the idea of an, a knowingness of God being there and the Holy Spirit um, makes it known when God is there. So that's the Holy Spirit is... Um, briefly as you could put it people have spent years talking about the holy spirit so you can go into more detail if you're interested the fallen world is this concept of humanity of christianity well i'll I'll say adam and eve is what people probably familiar with and this this idea that adam and eve were created in a perfect world with god and they rejected god and this was um, represented by them eating fruit when god had said not to and so they had deliberately rejected God. The only thing God said not to do. Yeah. And they had rejected God. And so then they were no longer able to live with God because of um, not rejecting him. And we would say that's partly because um, God is such a holy God that he cannot stand sin. And sin is another, another jargon word, but essentially... Um, sin can be viewed as rejection of God or putting things above God or some people say the bad things we do that's not necessarily the, the best definition but it can be partly that ba- basic explanation is the fallen world is this idea that humanity turned away from God when God was t- living with them so to speak and because of that certain things happen when we live in this fallen world which is basically a world where God's presence is not throughout it, essentially. And, um... As in, it's always there, but it's not in everything. Yeah. Um... What... The opposite to the fallen world is heaven or eternity is where creation will be restored from a fallen world to a restored world, you could say it. So that's probably maybe another way of thinking about the fallen world is... Yeah, so you can think of the fallen world, you can think of the opposite being a restored world where God is always present and um, when we allow God to rule over everything, um, that's when there is no illness and suffering and sickness and the fallen world also encapsulates not just, you know, sickness but relationship breakdowns and the breakdown between all of us humans, I mean, Pretty much all of us will have lived long enough um, to have had some experience of human um, relationships breaking down, mm-hmm. bad communication, people getting angry at each other. You only have to look on the news of <laughs> uh, the tragic things that people do to each other and things like that. Um, and so that's another part of our fallen world as humans would see it. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is no Dessert Pirate Radio this week due to an unforced error while recording. So the question of the show is, what do you think God's plan for your life is? Why not discuss it with someone over a cup of soup too? If you've had any questions, any confusion, or have something for the Q&I, Q&I, it's a Q&I, Q&A, send it in to reach at desertpirateradio.com and I'd love to hear from you. Until our paths cross again, this is E. And you've been listening to Desert Pirate Radio.